Hello, and welcome to People of the Pod, brought to you by American Jewish Committee. Each week, we take you beyond the headlines to help you understand what they all mean for America, Israel, and the Jewish people. I'm your host, Manya Brashear-Pashman. This week, we launched The Forgotten Exodus, a limited narrative podcast series about Jews from Arab lands and Iran. We celebrated the premiere with a behind-the-scenes look at the series with cartoonist and musician Carol Isaacs, whose graphic memoir, The Wolf of Baghdad, tells the story of her family's flight from Iraq. Our MC for the virtual event was Dr. Saba Sumek, Assistant Director of AJC Los Angeles. Take a listen. Welcome, viewers and podcast listeners, to our celebration of the premiere of American Jewish Committee's newest podcast, The Forgotten Exodus. I'm Saba Sumach. I was born in Tehran, and my family fled right before the Iranian Revolution. For all those reasons, knowing these voices and these stories are finally getting the attention they deserve brings me tremendous joy. The Forgotten Exodus is the first ever narrative podcast series to exclusively focus on these often forgotten stories of Jews from the Middle East and North Africa. And it's about time. So Manya, can you provide some background on this podcast? How did it come about? So I wish I could take credit for the idea, but I absolutely can't because it came up in my job interview when I was interviewing for a position at AJC. The person who was interviewing me proposed this idea for a series of audio stories, a podcast series, that shared the stories of Jews from Arab lands and Iran. And I had no idea what he was talking about, quite frankly. He had been inspired by a 2017 piece that AJC CEO David Harris had written called Letter from a Forgotten Jew. And it was this incredibly moving column, which I then went and read after the interview. And it talks about Jews from Libya, Jews from Iraq, the Jews who left in the Babylonian exile after the destruction of the first temple. I mentioned that with Shabab approaching this weekend. I mean, these are, these Jews lived in these lands for thousands of years and they were ousted from these lands, expelled, threatened, escaped. I had really no concept of that. As you said, Saba, in your introduction, that just was never covered in my world history classes, nor you know any of my Jewish history classes. It was, it was never brought up. And so I was intrigued and I hoped that if I got the job, this would be one of the projects that I tackled. And indeed it was. Did you feel that people were reluctant to talk about their history? Why do you think yes or no? And I, I could you know, talk about that with my research, but I would love to first go to both of you and discuss, did people easily talk about their history in the Middle East and as Jews? Once I was able to convince people to share their stories with me, yes. I mean, they opened up and shared their stories in great detail. I will say it was difficult. The challenge was finding people who were willing to share their stories to begin with. I blamed the pandemic because I was trying to do this during that, just as that started. But I also spoke with people in this world who advocate for Mizrahi and Sephardic communities. And they shared with me that, you know, really there are a couple reasons why people might have been reluctant. One being that these stories have been forgotten. These people have been here for years and no one asked. 
they've been ignored and that there was a sense of alienation and bitterness that no one had, had asked and, uh, you know, kind of a little too little too late kind of approach when the stranger calls them up and asks them to share their stories. But there was also a tendency I encountered that they just wanted to leave the past in the past. They wanted to move forward. These were incredibly traumatic times. Their families for generations had lived in these lands and these people had dreams and aspirations and ambitions and had made significant progress toward those dreams and aspirations. And they threw that all away in order to save their families' lives, right, in many of these cases. And so this was an incredibly traumatic uh, situation and, and they didn't want to share that with the stranger when she called. So I did encounter that reluctance. Right, right. Thank you so much, Manya. Carol, how about you? I never really heard much about, I mean, we were, to all intents and purposes, a British family. My father wore a pinstripe suit and a bowler hat, put the copy of The Guardian under his arm, and he went off to the city every day to work. He was a city gent, you know, he, he was English as English can be. Um, it was only until the last few years when I started delving into this and thinking more about it, I realised I never heard the word refugee or stateless person when I was growing up. It was as if our life had always been in England, in London specifically. And talking to the family, they were, all of them, they were wonderful. They were very generous with their time and they told me their memories because I wanted to tell the story through their words. And they were very kind and they told me all that they knew. That's how I got to the book. And Carol, what was the response of your family and the Iraqi Jewish community in the, to your book? And then also the non-Iraqi uh, Jewish community? It's quite remarkable on both counts. I don't know if you know this, but it's also an animation, a mo what we call a motion comic, where the pages of the book are projected on a screen and a band, an ensemble plays underneath like a silent movie and accompanies the unfolding narrative, which is mostly wordless. So the story is told through the music. Anyway, we did one of these performances, one of the premieres, and actually the first night, the Israeli embassy came, the second night, the Iraqi embassy came. They loved it. I have to tell you, both embassies. But as we do normally, we had a Q&A after each performance because we find that people want to ask a lot of questions about, you know, what is this, who are you? And in one of the Q&As, one of my aunts, who's related to me in my marriage, stood up and spoke about things that I'd never heard her say before, which was amazing to me. And someone else said that after the performance was finished, all the Iraqi Jews left with their heads a bit higher, walking an inch taller. And I thought, wow, my job is kind of done in that respect. I was a bit nervous. I wasn't sure how the family and the wider family would take it. But in terms of the right. wider Iraqi diaspora, they've been amazing. I've met so many great friends from Iraqis who are living in the UK and also Iraqis in Iraq itself, non-Jewish. Uh, they've been incredibly supportive and, and very interested in what I'm doing. That's wonderful. We do see a resurgence of interest in the Middle East and North Africa, these forgotten Jewish communities. And wonderful to see that there is an interest, of, of course, within the Jewish community, but amongst the non-Jewish community. And Carol, you know, still back to you, Iraq in, in 1941 went through a major crisis, Iraqi Jews, that most people aren't familiar with, and that's called the Farhud. Can you describe that? Can you describe its impact on your family? And if you feel like there's generational trauma in your community from that? It wasn't just the one incident, which was the pogrom, the Farhud, that's an Arabic word for a terrible event. It was an accumulation of things. From the 1930s, there was a a link between Iraq and Hitler's Germany. There was, for example, th there was a broadcast in Arabic from Berlin 
Hitler's book was published and serialized in Arabic. And there was a lot of anti-Semitism, a lot of people turning against each other, a drip drip effect throughout the 30s. In fact, in 1939, I believe, or was it 37, the Iraqi school system put the German model of teaching onto their system and taught it throughout the country. So there was a lot of German influence. As for the Farhud itself, my family, a lot of the younger members don't remember much of what happened, but the older ones just told me of terrible things happening and that they just stayed where they were. They were terrified that they couldn't leave their houses. And several of them told me, in fact, that their Muslim neighbors protected them from the mobs. Some of them stood with guns at the end of their street and said, you will not come here. These are my cousins. These are my friends. A lot of people lost their homes. Many died. We still don't know how many today. And it was kind of the beginning of the end of the Jewish community in Iraq. They felt they were no longer welcomed there anymore, their home, but they'd been their home for so long. And, you know, Carol, in so many ways, I could re- relate to you and the nostalgia for a country you don't know. I, I was born in Iran, but I've never been back. My books are about Iran. I teach about Iran and Iranian Jewish communities. But, you know, I lived in India, so I know the streets of Mumbai better than I know the streets of Tehran. And you described it beautifully as a sense of nostalgia for a country you've never been to. What does that mean to you and how has that fueled your work? When I read this word, it's in Finnish. It's one of those words that's untranslatable. You need like a whole paragraph. Kalkukaipu is the word in Finnish and it means a nostalgia or homesickness or a longing for a place that you've never been. And I thought, my goodness, this is exactly how I feel about Iraq. I have never been there, but I've heard little bits here and there from my family. It was really all about the good stuff, the family times, the traditions we had. My childhood was peppered with these reminiscences. And all my life, I've thought of Baghdad as this place that lives in my family's memories as a kind of a magical place somehow. Of course, I found out the truth when I was researching for the book, but it was always this place that was kind of would be denied to me somehow. I nearly yeah. went a couple of years ago, but thanks to COVID and I have been invited a couple of times to go. I mean, I will go one day. I mean, not to see, there's nothing left of my family there. Even my, my grandparents' graves have gone. It's been Saddam Hussein made a highway through their, yeah. their, their cemetery. Yeah. But just to, I don't know, breathe the same air that they breathe, be on the same soil that they were and just meet these new friends who are kind of coming at me from Iraq surprisingly, right. who want to connect, right. who want to build a bridge, who want to talk to me, who want to know our history. That's amazing to me. There's a big gap regarding Mizrahi stories and history in school curriculums. As I talked about, I never even learned about my own history. And I did Jewish studies literally from preschool up until my PhD. Can you discuss this gap regarding Holocaust history and the lack of Mizrahi narrative in the Jewish Ashka normative settings. Manya, I'll, I'll go to you with that. Well, you, you use the right word. It's Ashka normative, right? I mean, it's it seems that Jewish history is framed in this Ashkenazi-centric um, context that, you know, of course, I read the diary of Anne Frank in the eighth grade, and um, I was fortunate to have a good world history teacher in high school who we talked about the Holocaust. And, you know, when you go to Holocaust museums, it often is focused on the European, you know, the Holocaust of Germany and Poland. You miss that the Nazis did reach across and around the world. I mean, I believe, Carol, you were telling me that planes were flying, or perhaps it was in your memoir that planes flew above Iraq and dropped pamphlets. And uh, there was an an influence um, that spread. But then there's also just the, the, 
what was happening on the ground there, that the tensions, um, the creation of Israel, the all, all of that hostility is just ignored and, and you just you don't hear about it. And I think um, that's a shame because that's really leaving out a huge, a huge piece of Jewish history of history, period. Right. Absolutely. And not just Jewish history. One of the takeaways from from this series is that I learned a lot about the British Empire and Italy and, you know, all of these empires around the world. And, you know, they played a role in, in this history. You have to understand all of it in order to really understand what's going on now. To watch and hear the rest of this conversation, go to AJC.org slash Advocacy Anywhere. And be sure to follow The Forgotten Exodus on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you missed last week's episode, be sure to tune in for a conversation with Democratic strategist and raging Cajun, James Carville, and conservative strategist Leslie Sanchez from AJC Global Forum 2022. Thank you for listening. This episode is brought to you by AJC. Our producer is Atara Lakritz. Our sound engineer is TK Broderick. You can subscribe to People of the Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or learn more at AJC.org slash People of the Pod. The views and opinions of our guests don't necessarily reflect the positions of AJC. We'd love to hear your views and opinions or your questions. You can reach us at peopleofthepod at AJC.org. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to tell your friends, tag us on social media with hashtag peopleofthepod, and hop on to Apple Podcasts to rate us and write a review to help more listeners find us. Tune in next week for another episode of People of the Pod.